Oh, good morning, everybody. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I have been looking forward today. Can you tell I'm a little jazzed? <clears throat> For a lot of reasons. And uh, before I get too far off my, uh, off my script, let me just welcome you guys who are new. I, I heard John mention he'd seen a lot of new faces in the lobby. So if you're visiting with us today, if you're new today, my name is Pastor Jonathan Baldwin, and I just want to welcome you. I'm really glad that you're here today. Um, wow, I need a drink of water. Okay. I just can't imagine a better way to send off an old year and bring in a new year than to gather with you guys and just praise the Lord. Um, when Whitney asked me if I would play drums this week, she didn't realize that I would be preaching, but I'm really glad that she asked and I'm glad to do both because, man, every time I listened to those songs this week and practiced, I got to the end and I was just like drained. <laughs> I love you so much. These songs, the truth. Lord, you are so good. And uh, it's the same way today. I've really been looking forward to today. Okay, like I said, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just the best to gather with you guys in praise. On top of that, I have the privilege of preaching today, which I don't always do, so that's exciting. And, and on top of that, I have the privilege of announcing the final results for our December giving project to the Awana African School Initiative, which I have been dying to share with you ever since I got the number this week. Um, before I do that, let me just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you for just giving so generously and supporting this project. It has been a huge encouragement to me personally, just a blessing to see so much participation and um, passion and enthusiasm from you all, and uh, I'm just really proud of what we were able to accomplish together. If you recall, we set a goal for our kids of raising $650 within our own Awana program to sponsor a sister program in one of the schools in Africa. And you may have already seen if you were back there in the children's hallway and you saw the poster, but the kids blew that goal away and raised $1,609.66. And it gets better because that's fantastic enough as it is, but I'm sure many of you are wondering what about the grand total that includes all the giving of the congregation? I can say praise God and congratulations, Emmanuel Bible Church. You have sponsored not one, not two, not three, not four, but 25 public schools. <laughs> yeah, give a hand to that. The grand total was $16,361.36. So bless you. Bless you. That means Awana will have the resources they need to share the gospel with approximately 25,000 school children and staff and teachers because of your giving. Man, how cool is that? Ah, so before I pray, before I cry, I just wanna pray. I wanna pray one more time and just dedicate those funds to the Lord. Ask one more time that he would do something amazing with them. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, you are so good. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray specifically today that your will would be done in the schools in Africa that are going to be impacted by the giving from this congregation. We just pray that the gospel would be shared among them soon without delay. We pray that there would be workers for your harvest. We pray that the hearts of the Iwana leaders who go and train and establish those programs will be fully devoted to you and prepared in advance to be a beautiful witness to the people there. And we pray that there would be no barriers for them. They would have everything that they need. More than anything, we just pray that you would prepare the soil in the hearts of those children and those schools, the teachers and the staff to receive the good news of Jesus Christ that they would believe and enter into the family of God with us. God, you are so worthy of all our praise and all that we can offer for the advancement of your kingdom and we're just so happy to be a part of it. So Lord, I just pray that you'd renew our hearts and our minds again today that we might be honorable vessels of worship to you. And God, I wanna pray for all of your children around the globe. May they be strengthened by your spirit in them. Increase their faith, Lord. I pray for all those who face difficulties or challenges or persecutions because of their faith in you, that you would just provide for their every need and your presence would be a constant comfort to them. I pray for all of us who are free to believe without direct opposition. May we too experience your presence with us and may we not get too comfortable in this world we're living in. May we not become dull and complacent because of ease, but Lord, just make us strong and wise and bold and determined to live as we ought to live as your children. Lord, as we come into the new year, I pray that this world would just see a renewed call to faith in Christ, a renewed passion for your word, a renewed fervor for holy living, a renewed urgency for sharing the good news of Jesus. And may it start with us. Use us as tools in your hands to accomplish your will and build your church. May we who are yours in this generation be proven faithful in the time which you've given us. And it is in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Whew, it just keeps getting better. Because now we get to go into the word. All right, take out your Bibles. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, near the end of the book. I've been studying this little letter line by line since the beginning of September with our rooted Bible study group that meets here every other Tuesday night. So I've been so excited to preach this message, so excited that it has literally almost been a problem in a good way because I just want so badly for us all to be able to take hold of the thing that I'm trying to communicate today and have it characterize and drive our lives. I, I just really want to say it right. I rewrote the sermon about, I don't know, 15 times. And uh, I still don't think I quite have it exactly the way I want it, but the first time I wrote it, it was probably 25 pages long. And uh, for context, I've come to realize that it takes about 10 pages to fill a 30-minute sermon, so that's just not going to fly. But um, I promise I'm not going to take you through 25 pages of notes today, but I do have a lot to try to get through and uh, quickly, so let's just get right into it, shall we? 
First John chapter one, let me read this for you all. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we, write, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay. Now I'm a fun-loving guy, so I'd like to play a little game with you all, a little guessing game. There's one verse in here that I have been pondering for weeks my grandmother loves to use the word cogitating. I have been cogitating, pondering, thinking about this verse. It's stuck in my head. So can you guess which one it is? Take a look. There are only 10 verses in the chapter. So pick one. Let's see if you can put your finger on it. I'll give you just a sec. Okay, have you got your verse? By a show of hands, does anybody have verse four? <laughs> I've got a couple, couple winners. Congratulations, there's no prize. But you've won some bragging rights, I suppose. If you didn't get it, don't worry, God still loves you. It says so right here in First John. Okay. Let me tell you what it was about verse four that caught my attention. There's something here that John knows makes joy complete. How exciting is that? The idea of complete joy. And it has to do with something that he has written in this letter. The burning question in my mind is, what makes joy complete? John has an expectation that complete joy will result from his writing this letter. How is that? What about his writing is going to make joy complete? What makes joy complete? I had to stop and think because uh, joy is just the best. And if John knows what's going to make somebody's joy complete, I'd like to know what that is. I think joy is kind of a big deal. And uh, my guess is, is that there are a lot of other people who would like to know this too. Anybody in here not interested in more joy in your life? Shall we do another raising of hands or is that superfluous? <laughs> Just checking. 
So I want to talk to you about joy today. Um, and it's New Year's Eve. I thought about the sermon sort of in the context of New Year's Eve, knowing I was going to be preaching today. I've never been a New Year's resolution kind of guy, but it turns out that when I preach on New Year's Eve, I guess I kind of am a New Year's resolution kind of preacher. The New Year's resolution is all about identifying uh, something that you can do or change that more than any other thing will somehow alter your experience of life to be more the way you want it to be. So when John says he's writing so that our joy may be complete, that really resonates with me big time. I want so badly for every believer that this would be the case. And so if I could just pick one thing going into the new year as a pastor that I would desire for the church, it would be that our joy would be made complete. And you might think, really? Wait a minute, pastor, aren't there just far more important things, more serious things that you would want for the church than that? And of course, there are a lot of really good and important things that I could name. But I think, I think that we, we might often underestimate the importance of joy and the value of joy as a primary characterization of life in the kingdom of God. I think of Isaiah 35. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Or John 15, the famous passage, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. At the end of that teaching, Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Think of Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or think about the passage that John read for us this morning at the beginning of the service, Matthew 25, where Jesus is speaking of the coming kingdom. Now, what was it that the master said to the faithful servants? Well done, good and faithful servant. And we all know that. We all recite that. That's the thing that we desire to hear when we come to see Jesus in the end. But then what did he say? Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy. That's for the faithful servant. What does the unfaithful servant get? Not joy. Cast into outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. So joy. Joy is where the new creation is going. Joy is a primary, a primary biblical descriptor of the life we will enjoy in his presence when his kingdom is fully realized. It's the essence of the experience of that new life. And we tap into that now because even now we are in his presence. Even now his kingdom is near. The process may be incomplete but to the degree that we experience his presence and his kingdom now, we also partake in some measure of his joy. If we pass by on joy, thinking that there are more serious and important matters, I think that we set aside a sort of down payment we have on our future life with him. And I think we would do that to our own detriment and to the detriment of those watching from the outside. 
So we might be prone to forget the central place that joy has in our relationship with the Lord. I think we can also be prone to underestimate the power of joy because joy makes all the difference in the world for a Christian when it comes time to overcome what the world throws at us. It anchors us. It makes us steadfast and unshakable. Hebrews 12, 2 says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising its shame. Just consider Jesus in his, in his humanity at that moment and think to yourself, is that something I'd go out of my way to sign up for? To be an innocent man, an innocent man willingly going to my death, knowing that the agonizing pain and the torture coming my way, not to mention the spiritual reality of suffering the judgment of God for the sinfulness of all humanity. You want to sign up for that? I don't want to sign up for that. Can you think of anything that grates so harshly against the human spirit as that? So what in the world gives Jesus the strength and the willpower to see it through, knowing the cost? Well, knowing the worth, the value of the prize, the joy set before him. So I think it would behoove us to take some time and talk about this joy, what this joy is and where it comes from, its source, how we can have access to it. It's fine to talk about joy in the abstract, like we all, you know, we think we understand what it is and where it comes from and we talk that way, but it's better if we can be precise. And I do want to make one thing clear just really quickly. I don't want this sermon, I don't want anyone to get the idea that only Christians can experience joy. That's, that's just simply not true. Joy is for everyone, but there is a qualitative difference in the joy that a believer may have and the joy a non-believer may have. And so we're going to focus on that distinction. Let's look back into the letter, 1 John, verse 4, one more time. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And remember, the question is, so what makes someone's joy complete? And I, I find it interesting. John expects uh, joy, complete joy, fullness of joy in some translations, to result from his writing this letter, but he doesn't talk about joy again the rest of the book. This is the only place where you're finding the word joy. But what does he talk about? In a word, fellowship. And specifically, fellowship based on life in Christ. When I finally realized this after all my pondering and cogitating, the answer to the joy question became clear. Joy is made complete in fellowship. So let's flesh that out a little bit and I will make my case. Just not 25 pages of it. So look back. Before verse 4, the opening of the letter, what does John say? Let me read it again really quickly one more time. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. This is about life in Christ. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And now look at the verses right after verse 4. Um, we can summarize. Sorry, I jumped ahead in my notes. Let me just summarize those first three verses for you. We might summarize those verses and say, John wants to proclaim the things concerning the word of life so that his readers will have fellowship with him and with God. And then summarizing the verses right after, if you read ahead, he says that those walking in darkness don't have fellowship with God, but those walking in the light have fellowship with one another and with God because God is the light. And though John doesn't use the word fellowship after chapter one, he uses love as his central theme that he builds everything around. I think you could very fairly summarize the remainder of the letter by saying that John is describing who has fellowship with God and with the saints and who doesn't and what that fellowship entails and what that fellowship looks like. It looks like love, love that has a depth of meaning because the fellowship shared is based on life in Christ. So John doesn't talk about joy in the rest of 1 John, but I wondered if maybe he would have more to say elsewhere in the other writings. 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John. And I went looking. Because there's just not a lot directly to go off in 1 John. So I want more context. And he does have more to say. I think the most relevant reference is in 3 John where he writes, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So I did a little study, looked at this phrase, walking in the truth. And I think it's pretty clearly a parallel phrase to walking in the light here in 1 John. I think it means the same thing. We're just talking about someone who believes, who has life in Christ, and who lives according to their faith. And in fact, truth is right there in the light and dark metaphor in 1 John. If you look in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John has no greater joy than to see his children walking in truth. Walking in truth means the same thing as walking in the light. What happens when we walk in the light? We have fellowship with one another and with God. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. My conclusion here is joy is made complete. And maybe I should say the fullness of joy, the greatest degree of joy, the highest quality of joy, the joy of the believer is made complete through fellowship based on life in Christ. All right, so I've got an application question for you all. Christian, is your joy tied to the fellowship you have with God and with God's people? Is your fellowship tied to those things? We need to check on this occasionally because we can easily attach our hope for joy to the wrong things. It's very easy. Everyone loves joy, or at least the idea of it. The idea of something deeply satisfying, something incredibly pleasurable, 
something good and gratifying. We all want that. And we all experience joy in some measure. But I think that people often miss out on joy that is complete, joy made full. The joy that people have is often a dollar store version of the real thing. They've settled for a degree of joy that's just far inferior to the fullness available because their joy is tied to the wrong things. It's not based on life in Christ and the fellowship they have. It's tied to things like their popularity, their expertise, their career, their accomplishments, their beauty, their wealth, their toys, the success of their children or business. And you know what? To the degree that God made those things to be a part of our lives, we do receive a measure of joy in them. But, but unless our view of those things falls under the lordship of Christ and the life that we have in him and what that means, then the joy we receive from those things is just incomplete. It is missing components. It's not fully formed. And not only that, but it's fleeting. It stands on shaky ground because if the joy is solely, solely couched in terms of wealth and beauty and popularity and ability, which are all things that can disappear in an instant and will disappear in the end, where is your joy then? And what keeps you from despair? And what maintains you in a greater story? Something bigger than yourself. But joy that's tied to fellowship with God, to life in Christ, fellowship with God's people, that joy, that is of the highest quality. That is joy to the full. That is joy made complete. Because those bonds are eternal and that fellowship transcends this life. You are taking that with you. If that is in place, then you can enjoy all those other blessings without any danger of your inner life crumbling if your outer life does. So do you want your joy to be made complete? Pursue life in Christ and fellowship with God and fellowship with God's people. I'd like to talk a little more about that fellowship because I think that sometimes um, we talk about fellowship maybe a little flippantly, like it's just Christians having a Christmas party together or having a nice conversation in the lobby of the church. And those things can be an element of fellowship, but they are not automatically fellowship. And don't hear me disparaging those things as if they're bad. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that fellowship is about engaging with one another over the things we share in common, which is life in Christ. So I'm talking about Christians building one another up in the Lord. I'm talking about loving one another, bearing each other's burdens, being welcoming and practicing hospitality, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. Christians digging into the scriptures together and praying together and praying for each other. I'm talking about sharing a word of encouragement or a word of truth, an exhortation or a wise correction, all with the aim of love, which is acting for the ultimate good of another person in the most Christ-like manner possible. That is what fellowship is. And there are a million ways for that to play out, right? These are just some examples. But for our joy to be made complete in one another, we must engage together in love based on the foundation of our shared life in Christ. So 
The big point that I want to make here, I'm saying a lot of words, but let me boil it down. The big point is, in the truest, fullest, greatest sense, joy comes through fellowship based on life in Christ. Joy comes through fellowship based on life through Christ. Now it's your turn. Fill in the blanks. I will start. Joy comes through based on... Very well. Very well done. And our fellowship is with God and with the children of God. Okay. Let's start moving towards a conclusion here. I've got two major implications that I'd like to talk about because uh, these things are just really important. So please stick with me because if joy comes through fellowship based on life in Christ, that means to get joy, you don't just go do things that feel good. You don't just go do things that feel good. You can't just say, well, that makes me happy, so that's how I get joy. It doesn't work that way. If joy comes through fellowship, that means there's a relationship involved. Joy isn't about finding things that make you happy. Joy is about committing to and partaking in this relationship we have with God and with one another, and the happiness follows. There is happiness, but the happiness follows, okay? So the first implication goes like this. If life in Christ is the source of true joy and that joy comes to us through fellowship, and if God has given us the freedom to take the initiative and draw near to him to engage in fellowship with him, then we have some measure of control over our experience of joy in this life. That's a big deal. Did you follow that? I don't control the flow of joy from God to me. I don't control the forms in which he delivers joy to me. But what I can control is the degree to which I am abiding in Christ and pursuing fellowship. I can control whether I come to church. I can control the amount of time I dedicate to him maybe in the word, maybe in prayer, maybe in another spiritual discipline. And it's not just about quantity, right? It's about quality, whether I'm truly engaged in that relationship with him versus am I just checking off boxes with reading and praying? But I can practice self-control in honor of the Lord. I can practice patience. I can sincerely humble myself before God. I can set my heart to honor him and worship him. And I can control my responses to other people as I try to represent Christ and grow in him. I can seek to love my God and my neighbor. These are all things that I can do to pursue fellowship with God, right? So there's no barrier to you or to me drawing near to God, approaching him, interacting with him, praising him, thanking him, petitioning him, appealing to him, apologizing to him. The veil in the temple is torn, right? Access to God is granted through Christ. We are the temple of God and his spirit dwells within us. He invites us to come. He desires us to come. He is a good father who delights in his children. He gives good gifts, one of which is joy. So it's right there for us. The point is we have some measure of control over our experience of joy in this life. Do you want joy in your life? Do you want satisfaction for your soul? Pursue fellowship with God and with your brothers and sisters. And don't skip that and go looking for joy. 
looking for more money, looking for a new spouse. Don't go get a new body. Don't go give yourself to every pleasure. Don't go gratify your every desire because you won't find joy there. You just won't. There may be something that looks like joy or feels like joy for a moment, but it won't be joy and it won't last like joy because those things are temporary and the gratification is fleeting. It's all based on the wrong idea. When it's time to pick up your cross and carry it for the joy set before you, are those things going to provide the strength to overcome every obstacle? I don't think so. No, if you want joy in your life, come to Jesus and drink from the fountain of eternal life. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, so pick up your Bible and eat. That's our call. And so this is the first implication that in some sense, we are able to put ourselves in a position to receive joy, which is awesome. The second implication is maybe not quite so cheery. It goes like this. If life in Christ is the source of true joy, and that joy comes to us through fellowship, and if sin ruins fellowship, then we'd better get real serious about sin if we want to experience joy. There's a lot of other really good reasons to get serious about sin. But today we're talking about joy. Just like disobedience in a child doesn't fundamentally change that child's identity in relation to his parents, sin in the life of a child of God doesn't alter the fact that they are a child of God, but just like the disobedience in a child introduces a disruption into the experience of fellowship that that child has with his parents, so also sin in the life of a believer disrupts the experience of fellowship that believer has with God. And it does the same thing to the experience of fellowship between us. Earlier, I said that there's no barrier for you or for me to draw near to God. And that's true in the sense that God has made the way clear for us. He has cleared the path. But when we sin, we place our own barriers to fellowship in the way of relationship with God and the family of God. And we become our own personal killjoy because that sin is a black hole sucking the joy out of everything. So this is the problem and it's a problem we all share. And this is exactly where John goes in his letter. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. God has us dead to rights. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. So we don't kid ourselves. We know we're not perfect. But have we dealt with our sin appropriately? Did we forget to move on to verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to this I say hallelujah. Praise God. Christians, we need to know this verse and have it on speed dial. Again, I was thinking about today's message in terms of New Year's Day. I don't know about you, but for me, I always get this feeling of a fresh start. New Year's is a clean slate, right? There's just something about it that makes it easier for me to set down the baggage that I've been carrying and just consign it to the past. 
What happened in the last year is behind me. The defeats can be taken out to the curb, as it were, because the proverbial trash man comes on New Year's Day. I can let go of that. And I don't have to hold on to the victories either. I can be done being attached to my successes and just put those away in the trophy case and free up my hands for new pursuits. It's a new opportunity. When we come to faith in Christ, we experience the ultimate clean slate, the ultimate fresh start. The Bible puts it this way. It puts it a lot of ways, but I like this way. The Bible says we are born again. You don't get much more of a fresh start than to be born again. But then, sin creeps out from the depths of our old self, and we find that even our fresh new life is stained but ultimately that stain won't stick because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. But we do need the day-to-day reminder of the forgiveness of our sins and the day-to-day experience of being cleansed from unrighteousness. Even as we continue to fight and put off the old man and put on the new man and mortify the flesh and put sin to death in us. And so we have this beautiful promise from God in the book of 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I've got another application question for you real quick. Do I acknowledge my sin and confess it? And do I experience God's cleansing of my soul? Think of a parent who wants their child to just come to them and tell them the truth if they make a mistake, if they do something wrong. That's what this is. And just like the child who makes things worse by hiding things or lying to their parents, we're only making things worse, making ourselves miserable if we don't bring our sin to God. What a tragedy if this isn't my first response to my own sin because this is incredible grace that God has promised to me as his child to cleanse me from unrighteousness. And this without condemnation because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Though we know our sin is shameful, we don't live in shame. But how quick are we sometimes to complain of God's being distant from us when it very well may be that that distance was imposed by us, by our own sin, which we then delayed in acknowledging and confessing. And it hinders our fellowship. And it hinders our joy. So John just takes this head on. He writes about sin plainly and clearly. Sin is serious. It's a barrier to experiencing full life in Christ. It impedes your fellowship and it sucks away your joy. There is a pathway for dealing with it. You humble yourself and you acknowledge your sin before God. You confess it and you trust his love and grace towards you and you believe him when he says he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you of unrighteousness. And then you move forward and you draw near to him again and you seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love others, especially the family of God. So I want to tie a bow on this whole thing. Let's just do a quick recap and we'll be done. Do you want joy in your life in the greatest and fullest sense, the highest quality of joy? There's nothing I would desire for you more than that. Joy comes through fellowship based on life in Christ. 
that fellowship is with God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have it within your power to pursue fellowship and put yourself in a position to receive joy. But beware that sin doesn't take a hold in your life or else your fellowship will be a source of strain and strife rather than one of joy. And if sin is a problem, you know the solution. Humble yourself, acknowledge your sin, confess it, trust God's promise to you and experience his forgiveness and cleansing anew. And I say these things to you that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And the life that you've given us is so good. And the life that you've given us in Christ is so, so good and full of joy. And Lord, I just desire that your people would have that joy and have it in abundance, that their joy would be complete and full. As believers, as your children, if we don't have joy, we're doing something wrong. And so God, I just pray that we would be a people characterized by joy, that when others look in on your church, they'd be astounded at the love that we have for one another and the joy that we express, the happiness that we have. And God, I just pray that that would shock them, attract them, that you would be glorified because people would come to you because there's joy and there's life and it's good. And may we just be a a good representation of that. I pray that, that we would lean into fellowship with one another, take every opportunity to enjoy fellowship with you. And God, I just pray that you would make our joy complete. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.